Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. to recovery sort of as always it's jason i'm a guy in long-term recovery and i'm here with co-host billy hey people i'm also a person in long-term recovery and today we're lucky to have a, a guest with us uh, steve good morning uh, long-term recovery all right uh so we're gonna we're gonna talk about step two today and so if you're unfamiliar with step two step two in the 12-step program is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and uh, we started this step a month idea last month. We did step one. We got a little feedback. The feedback from uh, Earthlings was that maybe they could not relate so much to the idea of the steps. And so this month, I think we're going to spend a little time trying to explain maybe step two to someone who's never been in a 12-step program and then maybe even explain why we use it in a 12-step program or, or how maybe an earthling could relate to the idea of it. And I think Billy had a, a good explanation about some of that, so I'll let him take this away. Uh, yeah, so in the literature of the fellowship we attend, there's, uh, you know, it talks about the disease of addiction being a physical, mental, spiritual disease. And one of the spiritual aspects of this uh, addiction idea is that uh, we are totally self-centered, uh, that we never outgrow the self-centeredness of the child. And, you know, basically that, that somewhere along the way, uh, through early adolescence, you know, we, we get stuck. And so as we grow and develop and get older, um, we aren't, we don't know how to allow people in to help us when we reach struggles. We rely on our own, uh, self-serving, self-centered, self-seeking behaviors to get what we want. So, you know, like if we want something, we manipulate or lie or steal to get it. You know, we don't, we don't turn to other people to meet our needs for love and support and uh, growth. You know, we rely totally on ourselves, this self-sufficiency idea. And, you know, from reading and things that I've done over the years, like I think that's actually backed up by some what I would call scientific evidence. Um, if you do any sort of research into the uh, adverse childhood experiences studies and things that we've learned about, you know, addiction, the re- how addiction comes out of a lot of these adverse childhood experiences, um, they actually say a lot of very similar things that, you know, these adverse childhood experiences will cause us to get uh, damaged in our development. And therefore, we don't, you know, develop the skills necessary to live a healthy, meaningful life. And so I think the, you know, the scientific data corresponds to what we talk about in the 12-step literature. 
uh, that we are self-centered and self-seeking people. And we don't know, um, we, we don't, we don't get the skills that we need to learn to look to other people to meet our needs for love and support, um, to get through struggles and challenges. We become this totally self-sufficient island. Yeah, I think one of the the interesting things about the step, uh, breaking it down, that maybe some people when they first come to recovery are a little curious about is, you know, the power greater than our, ourselves, right? So it sounds instantly like, oh, you need me to believe in a God. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing out of everybody's mouth when step two comes up. Uh, they don't think of any of what you're talking about, the science behind how this might make sense. And, and I think one of the earliest explanations I got about step two, not so much the program itself, because I do think the 12 steps, even though they don't necessarily have to be leading you to a relationship with God, very frequently that is the goal and, and the accomplishment for a lot of people who work them. But step two in particular really does not have that power yet, right? We're talking about a power greater than ourselves, which we often can look at as simply uh, the program of Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous, like any 12-step fellowship, the concept of, okay, I can't seem to stop doing this behavior on my own, but possibly coming here and being inspired by you guys that have gotten an extra day or two more than me and your stories of how you did it and your ways of coping, this power has allowed me to get some freedom from from using whatever I use as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember specifically, you know, struggling with this idea when I first got into recovery. And, and one of the things, you know, my sponsor had me do was, you know, write down things that are powers greater than yourself. And I remember you know, those things being like the group, you know, the group of people there, you know, I can do way more with the support and love and encouragement of, you know, my home group than I can on my own. Um, it was also things like nature and the sun, you know, right, and things right. like that. Yeah, stop the sun from coming up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so it really sort of opened my mind to like not being stuck on like it's got to be god and it's got to be some higher power you know it's Mm. it's really can be any powers greater than ourselves as a good like starting point um to like open our minds so i'd like to touch on this uh you know growing up as you alluded to experiences a lot of my experience with a power greater than myself was I must be inferior to your power greater than yourself because I seem to not feel like you feel. I seem to not see things uh, as other people do. Uh, And that's, you know, that's how I felt coming into a 12 step program, getting into step two with like-minded individuals that have gone through the same struggles that I have. They sort of showed me a, you know, a path that was, this is your experience you know, this is this is your experience. If if you see a power greater than you uh, by breathing techniques or sitting on a river seems to calm you down, uh, then that's your experience, and and you're free to explore that. And it's actually been a great benefit to me that that they 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 gave me the concept through step two that. You know, obviously, step one, I'm powerless and to seek a power greater than myself to um, to get outside of my own head in healthy ways, such as taking a walk in nature, talking with friends, asking for advice, taking um, 
getting out of my own selfish behaviors and ways that I've developed as a some sort of survival technique because I need to protect myself from these other people that seem to have this great idea of uh, some God that is some far off ethereal thing to me. I can't, I can't seem to attain their understanding. And I just wanted, I wanted that so bad um, for so long. And uh, so step two for me, you know, I worked it. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I, I, uh, you know, have been around the step and learned a lot about it. And it's, it's been great for me. It's brought me, it's been a way for me to get back to center as long as I uh, keep looking at it. So, yeah, I think that uh, I guess if you're an earthling and, and, or someone new to recovery and don't have any experience and you're thinking about just the, the power greater than you, you know, we start to talk about God as an acronym, good orderly direction, just somebody giving you a suggestion or somebody giving me a suggestion really that is better than the suggestion I already have. Uh, We also talk about, you know, group of drug addicts or group of drunks, uh, depending on which fellowship you're in, you know, just people who have lived where we lived and found a way not to and, and taken those uh, good orderly directions from them to, to get where they are, which, you know, some amount of clean time or recovery. Um, I think just to, at the, at its most basic, you know, understanding power greater than ourselves. If you have a second floor apartment that you're moving into and you have a couch, you probably cannot carry it up the steps by yourself. And yet you and a buddy or two buddies could, right? Simple. Us together is more powerful than I am by myself. And that is like the most basic concept of it um, that I can think of. And I, and I think that might help people to understand that this isn't some, oh, you need to go and find God and get brain bars <laughs> right. program. It's just like, hey, uh, together we can do something that I couldn't do by myself. And I think this is how that step could possibly help uh, the everyday earthling in their life. Yeah. And part of that, I think, like say that addiction uh living in that life of addiction is, is that you don't trust anything outside yourself. You have no uh, faith or hope or belief that anyone or anything else is there to help you. And so the only skills that you have to rely on are whatever you bring to the table, you know? Right. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a real lack of trust and, and some of it, like say comes because we've had some abuse in our upbringing or whatever, but then some of it comes with just living in that lifestyle of addiction, you know, because once you get caught up into that cycle of addiction, mm. you know, all the people that you're around are liars and cheats and thieves or most of them, I can't say all and everyone. So there's always a, a spectrum of things, you know, like, <laughs> have a tendency to lump it all into one, but there's a spectrum of, of using, you know, where some are more extreme than others. But in general, um, you know, most of us are around people that lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, you know, do what we got to do. And we think that that's how you live. Like that becomes a normal way of life. You know, my normal way of life when I was using was just to lie on a regular basis, to take things from people if they weren't looking, you know, and and we justify and rationalize those kind of behaviors because it gets us what we want. I was definitely convinced that everybody was either getting high or they were dumb, right? (laughs) It's one of those two options when I was getting high, you're getting high or you're dumb. Uh, I didn't realize that there was another way of life. Um, So to move on from the power greater than concept for, for, you know, of explaining this step, I think the next portion that people question immediately is, 
you know, the need for a restoration to sanity. So why would I need to be restored to sanity if I wasn't insane, right? And so we could say, okay, well, people in the program might understand their insanity. That's why we're in this program. We, we've had some insanity in our lives. But the earthling might say, well, why do I need sanity? There's nothing insane about me, right? I live my life. I go to work every day. Things are good. Um, and so it helps, I think, to understand that we usually define insanity, at least one of our first definitions of it is repeating the same mistakes and expecting different results, right? Like if I continue to say, I'm going to get clean and get a job tomorrow. And yet every morning I don't do anything different and I go get high first, that never happens. So I just continue to do the same mistake and expect something different to happen somehow. And that's a, a definite form of insanity if we look at it. Yeah. And I think uh, that was kind of my line of thinking was leading towards like, that's where that insanity comes from. It's like we, we live in a sort of, I can't, again, we like a lot of addicts live in a place where like morals and values and all those things are chucked right out the window and, you know, insane behaviors seem the norm. You know, I can remember um, this was early on in like the sort of opioid rebirth of the late 90s early 2000s and i had a couple of different buddies growing up where you know we were going to the dentist and getting teeth pulled out to get pain medication and thinking what a great fucking idea that was you know how smart we were that we had gained the system by you could go to the dentist and tell them that your teeth hurt and all it cost you was a tooth to go get a whole script for you know 50 percocets you know and that kind of like that's if you said that to most normal people, they would think that that was an insane idea. But to a couple of using addicts that are caught up in addiction, like that was fucking smart. Like we had figured out a loophole, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, you have to sort of uh, search for something outside of that sphere of influence or that realm of influence to help navigate you back to rational thought. <laughs> and, you know, for me, a lot of times, um, you know, I didn't trust anyone outside of that realm of people that were using. I thought everyone else was full of shit. I thought the court system and the cops and probation and all those people were just full of shit. So I, um, <clears throat> a lot of my development from, from childhood, going back to that into this insane behavior, so to speak. Um, when I, I, the, the, the furthest back I can date it, I was approximately five and I wanted to ride my bike back into the woods and hit this jump. And my parents were standing uh, in the front yard and I rode my bike up and said, you know, can I ride my bike back there and hit that jump? And they said no. Well, my brother was over close to the woods and he didn't hear any of this. So I got on my bike, went down the hill and I didn't lie to my brother. I said, I'm going to hit the jump. Therefore, he would assume, and I'm five years old, therefore, he would assume that they said yes. And we went back and we hit the jump. And when we came back, I had to deal with the consequences, right? So he didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble. Now, uh, that carried on for a long time. It was about what did I want? I wanted to hit the jump for my whole life. I wanted the thrill. I wanted to do all these things. So, so like you said, I mean, you know, thinking about going to get your tooth pulled for 50 Percocets, I wish that was going on when in my time, you know, cause you know, and I'm sitting here uh long-term recovery thinking, 
man, I didn't know about that. You know? <laughs> uh, so I, I, uh, and that's, that's, but those are the types you're describing. Although we come from a different background as far as like, I never did that, but those are the types of behaviors I did. And I, the consequences didn't really concern me. So that was the insane patterns developed over that time. Now, step two comes into play in my life. I'm clean now. Body, no more toxins. Guys are giving me solid suggestions. They're carrying me. They're calling me. They're saying, you committed to this. I started to realize that now in the same pattern of living, the same mind, the consequences of doing good things started to become good consequences. And now I have to answer to the good consequences. And that's where the change, a, a good change started happening for me. Because when I, even, you know, back then, uh, early recovery, I'd wake up, I'd go sit down at the table. And I never, before this, I never had a job for more than a year. I would go sit down at the table and I would start to eat the bowl of cereal. It's like 4.30, 5 in the morning, and I'm ready to leave for work. And I would think of five excuses why I could call out right now. And I just wouldn't do it. There was other people, you know, that I, I just first people told me go every day, you know, get up every day and go. And then and honestly, I didn't want to show up to the to a, a, you know, meeting later and have to tell people I called out of work. And then honestly, I did call out of work one of those days and I didn't feel right. You know, I felt like this is these are going to be bad consequences. This is what it was a feeling I had. And uh, just just paying attention to myself and taking a look at all this, um, consciously taking a look at it uh, instead of running around just like, well, I want to do this and I'll deal with the consequences later. Um, now I'm consciously looking at things. and I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm not liking where this is headed. Uh, maybe I ought to talk to somebody or make a change. So so as an earth person. uh you know, or as a person early in recovery, it's easy to see these, you know, repeating the same mistakes and expecting different results. It was just a, a part of my life every day, whether that's the person who says, uh, okay, I just got off work. I'm going to go have one beer at happy hour and then ends up drunk every night when they go have one beer. <laughs> or whether that's me who goes in and says, I'm going to steal this crab meat from Giant and gets caught and locked up every time I try <laughs> yeah. to do it, right? Like, it doesn't matter. For us, it's pretty simple. But then you know, for an earth person or, or a person maybe that's been clean just for a while and not really examining their life or, or as self-aware as they used to be, this still applies, right? There's a meme that always makes me laugh. And it's the person who says, sorry, I'm late. Traffic is exactly how it's been every day for the past five years. And I was not expecting that, right? Like, <laughs> and, and that's that thing. And, and maybe you're not the person who's perpetually late to everything that could easily solve that by getting up three minutes earlier, right? Right. But there's something in our lives probably that we just continually do, whatever that is. Even if that's the point where, like, I continually cause issues by expecting uh, perfection out of my children and things like that. Like, that's just not working for me. My children are not perfect. Neither am I. I need to be aware of these things and, and trust in this process of coming to believe to restore me to the sanity that, hey, this isn't working. Let's at least try something else, even if that doesn't work, too. Let's not just continually but beat my head against the wall thinking I'm going to get through the door. Right. And I think if I am, you know, sort of the the opposite of having powers greater than myself to influence me, 
Um, if I'm not using powers outside of myself to help guide and direct my life, I am what's called ego-centered or egocentric, whereas, you know, whatever my best thought is, is the best thought I'm willing to entertain. And no matter who you are, you know, we all are incapable of making perfect decisions for every situation in our entire life. You know, it's like there's always, you know, going to be whatever you want to call it, research or data or information out there or, or influence from other people that's going to help to make things better in some area or another. Um, but as an addict, like I was so ego centered that I was totally untrusting of anything other than myself for any, you know, resources in my life. Right. I can't tell you the, the amount of people I've run into that say, oh, I really struggle at forgetting things in my life all the time. And then I mentioned, well, do you ever put them on your calendar? And they're right. like, no, I've never thought of that. Right. And I'm like, really? Five years of forgetting everything in your life and you've never thought of the calendar? But sometimes it takes talking about things. And I think that's another piece where we remember that this program is so useful. We isolated ourselves, like Billy was mentioning, and we don't talk to anybody for good ideas. And then when we express problem areas of our life, we open ourselves to solutions from outside, you know, things we just may not have ever had the time to take to think about that it could work for us. Right? Yeah, my self-esteem, I think, was so low for so long that I felt like if I admitted to someone I didn't have the answers to something or I didn't know how to fix a problem or I didn't know the best solution to something, that that somehow made me like weak or inferior to that person because I went through my life. Um, based in my whole self-worth off of what I, you know, everyone was on a scale of like one to 10, you know, and every person that I met, I had to rate on where they <laughs> fell in that scale and then how I measured up to that person. Mm. And then that was how every interaction with that person was handled. You know, that was how, and, and all those judgments were made totally in my head, totally based off of bad information, misinformation, judgments that were most of the time based in in nothing you know right. and uh you know if you were weaker than me you might be someone that i can manipulate or take advantage of or look to get what i wanted and if you were stronger than me then i knew i might have to kind of sit back and put up my defenses and be on guard because you might try to take my shit or get something you know from me and uh running my life off of all that misinformation and not just having a little bit of open-mindedness to let people be who they really are that's exactly what I was thinking. Open mindedness is sometimes the power greater than myself or other principles that are driven home, uh, especially in 12 step programs of all kinds. Um, but these are concepts that can be adopted by anyone. Open mindedness is listening to someone when, you know, if I if I run up a flight of steps and I'm out of breath and someone says, well, you know, quit smoking. <laughs> and, and, you know, what, you know, uh, right. what, what are you talking about here? Um, so, or someone says exercise will make you feel better and give you a, uh, you know, more energy. And, and then I'm if the closed minded self says, there's no way this person is right. Uh, and why do I do that? I, I believe that the insanity, you know, part of me is, is saying, that's not going to work for you or you're not good enough. And um, there's no way that'll work. It's just a closed mindedness that uh, keeps me held down. Then I become open-minded. And even if it doesn't work, um, at least I was open enough to try it. And, and I 
I then, I then, it, it becomes less and less that I feel the I fear the failure uh, aspect. I'm a big fear of failure. You know, I don't, I don't want to fail. I want, I want to know what I'm doing, and I'm a perfectionist to the point where I won't even. If I don't think I can do it perfectly, I won't even do it at all. And then I just, I do nothing. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, a negative action. It's not even, not even taking a step out and, and giving something a try. So I, it's basically what I started thinking about was these principles um, are, for me, I'm starting to see that these principles of open-mindedness and willingness to try things um, are sometimes the power greater than myself. Yeah, I think uh, just piggybacking off of what both of you guys said, man, the open-mindedness, um, something something we lack in the world today. And, I, and I'm not just talking about everybody else, yeah. me too, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I listen to, to some of these political things by accident. I don't mm-hmm. even really want to. I'm trying to avoid the hell out of it because <laughs> uh, it just frustrates me. But Honestly, a lot of what frustrates me is, well, a lot of it's just just, there's so much misinformation and and anger and venom towards other groups for no real good reason. We're just hating entire other groups of people. Um, But some of it is also my closed mindedness to the message I'm hearing, which happens to not be the message I more agree with. Right. And so just all the closed mindedness around it, I think. You're right. Just being open minded to some new ideas and not immediately disqualifying them because they're not what I believe. What I've learned in recovery, and I don't know if I learned it specifically from the second step or just further on or therapy or who the hell knows. But a lot of what I believe I didn't actually come up with or decide to believe. Hmm. It's just what's been given to me. And I believe it by default and I never fucking question it whatsoever. And the best thing I can do in open-mindedness is question everything that I have ever believed in. Um, and so that's what I, I try to do today. I, I, I'm not going to say I do it well or perfectly by any means, but I do think that open-mindedness just to hear other people and, and think maybe my way is not the only way. Maybe my way is not even the best way for me, right? Maybe there's some other ways that are good for me too. And I need to be open to those experiences I think another spiritual principle that I've heard associated with this step frequently is the hope. Um, and, and it's just that voice of maybe, just maybe I can be better. Right. And so for, for an addict or an alcoholic or, or a gambler or a sex addict or whatever you want to call yourself, like just the idea that maybe I'm not stuck in that terrible pattern I've been living with for years. That's led me to nothing, but like insanity, <laughs> depravity, death, pain, whatever. Um, and, and just for the average everyday person that's struggled in an area of their life, maybe for, for quite a few years, maybe they struggle in relationships. Maybe they struggle with, you know, showing up for work every day. Just the idea that, hey, just maybe there is hope that this can one day change. Yeah. And so, you know, when it gets into using like the and, and sort of to circle back to like the adverse childhood experiences thing. So what a lot of times are using we're we're doing that to. Uh, deal with some sort of trauma or pain like using you know helps alleviate my pain and whatever that is whether it's emotional or or physical or spiritual pain you know using helps to alleviate that pain and as long as I'm high as long as I'm you know having sex as long as I'm drunk I don't feel that pain but as soon as I come down off that drug you know I feel the pain again and uh, you know there's there's no tools or we don't 
we aren't taught or given the tools that we need to deal with that pain without our vice. And so when people tell us, oh, just stop using and you'll be fine. It's like, no, I won't. You know, as soon as I stop, I'm going to feel all that pain of living. And I don't have any skills to deal with that pain. And, And without knowing that there's a different way, you know, that's where that hopelessness comes from. You know, and and coming around either, you know, 12 step fellowships or counseling or spiritual advisory, you know, places that can can help us gain these tools. Um, You know, we come into a program like a 12 step program and we learn, hey, you know, other people feel this way. They've used these tools to get out of it. And you might be able to get out of living in that pain without having to use or without having to use that vice over and over and over again. So I think that. um it's, it's leading me here to pain is a great motivator and to a person, to a normal person or a person that thinks they might have an issue going on. If there's pain associated, if there's some pain going on and there's a, there's a, and you're seeking right the sex or the gambling or uh, shopping or buying something brand new, whatever it's to alleviate that pain, the, you know, if there's pain there, it's something that has to be looked at. And the truth can be painful as well. And to me, sometimes, and, and the, the truth is one of those things that falls under the power greater than me. The truth sometimes is that pain I need. Uh, when I was, you know, um, just to give a personal experience, I was in jail. And um, my I wrote a letter to my dad saying, you know, I, you know, I want to, I want to get a house and, um, you know, a, a wife and kids and a dog, you know, and I just, you know, I just want to go to work, swing a hammer and just do my thing, you know, and, and I'm here, I'm in jail. You know, I know nothing about doing that, you know, <laughs> and here, and here he is, you know, the, the 35 years in, you know, to the job. And, uh, um, he says, well, you just never have been willing to do those things. And, and that was, you know, that was painful, you know, it was, I'm not, I wasn't willing to do the necessary steps involved. Right, right. No, that's a that's a powerful statement. Sometimes the the truth can be the painful motivator to move into the next uh, stage of our lives. Uh, right now, we're going to take a break and play our voices ad, and we'll be back after that. All right, coming back to the topic of step two, uh, we wanted to start to break down or, or, you know, investigate some of the literature, at least in our fellowship, has some interesting sayings. One of the most interesting things I've found is that it says the process of coming to believe restores us to sanity. And how I've always interpreted that is that it's actually the process of coming to believe that there are powers greater than myself that is the the actual thing that restores sanity in my life. And I think that's kind of incredible because the step says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And yet later on in the reading for the step, it's saying that actually the process of coming to believe is the thing that's restoring us to sanity. Not that we came to believe that something could, but almost that the the evidence is in when we come to believe that we don't have to control everything that's what allows us to to sit back and relax and and have some sanity and peace in our lives. Yeah, and I think what that does is opens us up to, you know, to simplify it opens us up to like take suggestions and not be so totally self-reliant on ourselves. You know, so many times in life I get in a situation and I don't have an answer. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't have, you know, the right tools to get the job done. 
And, you know, it's like if I have a screw and a board and all I have is a hammer, well, you know, a lot of times I'll take that hammer and beat the shit out of that board until I can pry that screw out of there. And that's kind of my approach to life. Like, I don't have the tools to deal with that situation, but I'll take whatever tools I got and beat the shit out of life with them until, you know, I end up with a bad result. And I might get the screw out of the board, but what's either of those things going to look like at the end? And that's kind of what my life is like. And by, you know, getting into this process, I don't just take my hammer and start beating on shit. I start looking around like, hey, maybe there's something else that would be a better tool to get this job done. And if I use it correctly, it might be going and asking somebody else, hey, do you got a screwdriver that I could use? Right. You know? Yeah. I, I love this. You know, the, the process is the solution. Someone once said to me that nothing grows on the top of the mountain. Everything grows in the valley. And that's in, in that context is that we all we all seem to be aiming towards something. Uh, we want to we, we want to go to school and, and get this degree we want to <clears throat> climb at work or uh, go through life and these are all things that uh, me I've always wanted to seek um, my whole life and and uh, even even clean uh, still wanting to seek these things but the process is the solution the the growth comes through the process I need to learn to enjoy the process it goes right back to the last thing I was saying about the letter from my dad. You know, he's saying what he's saying is it's okay. You can want whatever you want, but wanting isn't the result. Hmm. The result is the process. The process is in order to have these things, you have to, you have to be able to endure the journey and that, you know, it's a journey, not a destination. I mean, a lot of these uh, things that many people have heard um, in different, different parts of their life or, whatever uh you know that's but it's it's all pointing to the same to the same uh sort of thing that we're 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 on here and that is the process of step two the coming to believe i can definitely i can definitely uh grab a hold of this concept for myself um the coming to believe is the very thing that restores me to sanity i'm restored to sanity just just with that seed of willingness to to you know embark on this journey and say you know I, I will uh, look for a power greater than myself or read a spiritual text or read program literature, listen to um, a podcast. I don't know uh, you know anything. If I'm if I'm seeking actively, that that sort of does restore me to sanity. So. I, I love that like there's these steps and, and most of our program principles and ideas are just written in a way where somebody who's like living this spiritual in touch with the universe uh, concept of life can take them to have this really deep, you know, incredibly spiritual meaning for their life. And then somebody else can look at the same exact words and phrases and, and look at it as a very down-to-earth, basic, pragmatic answer to Simple. a full problem, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's like you can go either way and both ways work and they both make sense. Um, I love the idea that, that you know, we can just uh, 
stop using our hammer on the screw, right? And just consider that maybe else, maybe somebody else around us has another idea for how to get this screw out or a different tool that we're unfamiliar with. Um, I also love the idea of like that we can project out into the universe that, you know, hey, I'm coming to believe that I can be better. And that in itself is the solution for me getting better, right? I'm almost stuck in the fact that I can't get better as long as that's all I believe. Yeah, no, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, here, here we go again, where it's like, I heard something different there. I took something different away. Like what I sort of take away from that, you know, the process is a solution thing is what I hear when I hear that is the process involves the actual work. You know what I mean? It's not just thinking about shit that gets it done. It's the actual work that goes into it that gets the solution. You know, me sitting around pontificating about some shit while I'm on the toilet doesn't really get it done. <laughs> That's you know? funny. And, and I'm over here like maybe in my, my you know, pumpkin spice latte Starbucks <laughs> world. And I'm like, man, it's just this self-actualization that like as soon as yeah. I believe I can be better, that becomes a possibility for my life. And if I project that out, then maybe I am manifesting that around me just by believing it. Because it, it talks in our literature somewhere, it says, uh, as long as we believe we have the ability to control our using, we're almost forced to continue trying to, hmm. right? And it's once we believe that we truly can't control it anymore that we kind of lay it down. We're like, all right, I can't. Let me listen to something else. And so I kind of look at that for this, you know, saying right here that like, as long as I believe I can't get better, which is was my belief. I was yeah. resigned to the fact that I was stuck out there. This was Being just my the rest life. of my life. Right. Used till yeah. I'm 60 in a rocking chair on the front porch. Right. And that's like the very best. <laughs> yeah, right. That's for, best. right. Like most days I was in the gutter somewhere, <laughs> not in the front porch. But I, I really think that the, you know, just the belief that, hey, this can change. I think that changed the course of my life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny how, like you say, simplicity so many times of how I actually utilize these tools. Because I personally think, you know, my my experience or understanding of the steps is that there are a process of giving me tools on how to deal with life. And it's just like when we had talked about meditation, like I need a meditation that is practical in my life. That's something that I can use. It, I, I can't have a meditate just me personally i can't have a meditation practice that requires me to be in the perfect room in the perfect conditions with the right incense and the fucking music playing <laughs> and no interruption from the kids and all those things because if that's my expectation i'm just probably not going to get that most days i need something that fits into my life and how to take these tools and apply them on a daily basis and a lot of times it is just, you know, as simple as, you know, the first step being i can't and the second step being we can you know, that I don't do the best job of running my own life on a regular basis, you know, without some influences of some some good people that I can look to for guidance and direction and, and what, you know, my purpose is and what the best way to deal with, you know, my kids issues is. If, if I'm not looking to things outside of myself, you know, chances are I'm going to end up making a bigger mess of it than when I started. And here's where you tell your believers from your agnostics. Believers will say, I can't, he can. And agnostics will say, I can't, we can. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, and that's just it. You know, that's for me is the point of why I still go to meetings and actively participate in recovery and still have a sponsor and still, you know, participate in uh, recovery events. It's like 
you know, just because I've been abstinent from drugs from a long time, uh, for a long time, doesn't mean that I all of a sudden gained all these skills. You right. know, I still have new situations, new challenges, new, new uh, struggles coming up in my life. And I feel like there are things outside of me that can help me deal with them on a regular, you know, on a daily basis. Right. So, so I sort of came to believe that I could live clean, right? I came to believe I could live clean. And I started to do some things that uh, I enjoyed doing. And before, uh, when in an attempt to be clean and be separated from that, those things that kept dragging me and taking me in a rabbit hole, I would be clean, separated from them, but I didn't enjoy doing the things like fishing or fill in the blank, taking a walk in the woods. Uh, after consciously taking a look at this and coming to believe that I could live uh, clean, so to speak, I started to enjoy those things. And 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 to to you know, I, I tend to get deep. Uh, it's I like to you know explore the how deep my mind can go with things a lot. Um, but the simplicity of it is really what brought me to this place where I can challenge my mind now. And, and uh, I, I, I found out through following those simple, you know, you know, put down the hammer, you know, pick up the screwdriver, you know, instead of beating that, trying to beat that screw in, you know, just use this tool instead, Steve. And then I started using that tool and I was like, wow, this is, this is great. (laughs) And I mean, this is so much easier. I've been wearing a 10 and a half. I'm on 11, you know, and, 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 uh, and then you start to feel a little better. And I, I had about I had about nine months clean and there was this guy that I had known. I took his sister to prom, you know, we like we, we went a little ways back and he was younger than me and he was he was wanting to, you know, he was clean and he was wanting to really do this thing and he was going through a struggle and he shot me a text message in the morning and I was at work and he's like, you know, I just don't know who I am, you know, and he was actually on step two at the time. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't I wasn't a sponsor, just trying to help the guy, you know. Um so he, he's like, you know, I don't know who I am. I mean, you know, I don't know how to live. Mm-hmm. You know, he, basically he's, he's saying to me, looking back now in, in uh, hindsight, you know, he's saying to me, I don't, I need to come to, he's wanting to come to believe that he can live clean. You know, and he's saying, you know, I don't know what to do. And I said, all I said to him was, hey, listen, and I was just trying to give him enough to get him through until I could get off work mm-hmm. and just go see him and make sure he didn't, you know, screw up. So I just said, hey, listen, man, you know, you know, I know your dad raised you, you know, and you guys used to work on cars and stuff, you know, like that's you, man. That's you. You then you know, look no further. You know, right. you 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 know, you like to work on cars on the side, but you know, that's what you do. Or whatever, you know, it's like something I said just like that. And it, you know, and uh he just man, I was a sage, man, for, for the longest time to him, you know, because <laughs> because I because I knew that him and his dad, you know, could wrench on, you know, always were wrenching on a car. You know, it's just like the simple the simple things he was, he was open enough to seek, um, you know, I guess he had, he had, was seeking a power greater himself or seeking, he wanted to come to believe that, uh, you know, he could do this thing. And, and, uh, we together, him and I, um, you know, through, you know, some sort of consent, you know, because he would have been closed minded to, you know, if it was his dad that told him that maybe, you know, so just because him and I came together and said, you know, we're, I'm going to help you get through this thing or whatever. He was able to see through a simple text message that he could. And he, he came to believe there, at least for 
that day or whatever, you know, that he could live clean. Right. Um, moving on from that concept, uh, just to another piece of the literature, I think we kind of, does anybody have anything else to add for that part? Okay. Uh, another part of this literature that has always just really blown my mind, I, I shouldn't say always, because I completely missed this early on, but it hit me later and, and really seemed powerful for my recovery, at least. Uh, there's a paragraph in step two that says, in this program, the first thing we do is stop using drugs. And you could intersperse drugs with whatever it is that you uh, happen to act out using. And it says, at this point, we begin to feel the pain of living without drugs or anything to replace them. The pain forces us to seek a power greater than ourselves that can relieve our obsession to use. And I've always been captivated by this because my first attempt at recovery, I came in, I gave up drugs, and I quickly found women, right? And they were my replacement, right? And it says right here in the literature, I need to feel, or it says we begin to feel the pain of living without drugs or anything to replace them. And that that pain is somehow vital to the fact that we seek a power greater than like, basically, if I'm not in pain, what the fuck do I need God for? Or what do, what do I need you program people for? <laughs> Things are great, right? I don't need your help anymore if I'm not hurting. Um, and so it was, I was so quick to replace the pain of living without drugs with, you know, the euphoria of a new relationship or, or female validation or, or sex. You know, I, some people uh, who maybe turn to food, right. And they say, Oh, I, I, I put down the fork and, or put down the spoon and picked up the fork. Right. <laughs> and I always say like, I, I stopped smoking crack and started eating it or whatever. Right. Like there's always some generalization to make it funny. But the truth was, I, I avoided the pain of not having drugs. I avoided the the feeling of loneliness and isolation that I was using drugs to cover up to begin with. And in avoiding that, I never needed to seek the power greater than. So for my recovery, what that meant was I, I got almost 18 months my first time in and I worked steps and I was hitting six meetings a week and I had a sponsor and a service commitment and all these aspects. And yet I still used right? Even in the midst of doing all these suggestions that, that recovery suggested of me, because I had missed the God piece. And as soon as I felt pain, I had nowhere else to turn except to go back to covering it up because that's what I was still doing in recovery was covering up the pain instead of dealing with it. Yeah. And I think one of those lessons that is important uh, for most addicts anyway, is that, you know, life is has painful moments, you know, life isn't all about good, happy, fun all the time. And even, you know, the, the people with the best lives still have instances of pain and, um, you know, that it's part of life, you know, that we can't get through every day being totally happy, totally, you know, in euphoria all the time. And, you know, with drugs, as long as I was high, that's kind of how I, stayed you know right. it was an instant escape from all my problems an instant relief to all my pain and the only time there was pain is when i came down out of that cloud of euphoria and right. then i had to deal with life and was like fuck how do i get back there you know the quickest fastest way and uh again learning some some tools or some skills on how to deal with the shitty aspects of life and realizing like hey you know after a while like I'll take the shitty with the good compared to the results of using yes, or the things to replace it. You know? Right. So the, the, uh, the, the great thing here is that came, you know, came to believe. And then I, I 
personally, and, and a lot of people experience this, the pain does go away as the result of the process, um, doing the work, taking the action, it seems. Um, so as long as instead of I have a choice, I can replace the drug with a woman or, uh, you know, gambling, I can, I can, I can do, I can substitute mm-hmm. the moment I choose to not substitute, to feel that pain at some juncture. And I don't know. And, and just as a reference point, I don't want to get into this, but some, some religions, you know, or whatever say, you know, the pain was taken from you. Some, some would, would venture to say that it was my actions and the pain was um, on its way to leave anyway. I just had to hold on um, and follow through and show up. Either way, the experience of having the pain leave is a uh, is a great experience. And for me, when the pain was no longer there, whether it was taken or my actions um, removed that pain. Um, or the process, you know, remove that pain. It doesn't, to me, necessarily, I don't need to define it very, you know, too much. I I just, I know that I I remember, you know, it worked and the pain started to alleviate, um, sometimes suddenly, sometimes gradually. But so long as I stayed on course, even with deviations, you know, of, um, coffee you know an extra cup of coffee because i didn't you know i I needed a pick me up or something right right? so so even little deviations like that i mean i'm not a i'm not a a monk on the mountainside here you know i live in the world with i have kids you know and i have to deal with things so um that was a great experience uh just i just wanted to put that plug that in there because we were it was hitting me so awesome yeah i uh i think one of the aspects of this this part of the literature the whole the pain forces us to seek a power greater than ourselves this ties in with a belief that i've had and i i know everybody doesn't share it and i'm curious where you guys stand on it i've frequently heard god doesn't give us more than we can handle and i know not all of us are are exactly believers in the you know big guy in the sky kind of god um but just in general, I have never been a believer in this this statement of God doesn't give me more than I can handle or do, doesn't put more on my plate than I can handle or any of that, those type of things. I personally believe I am always given more than I can handle. And that's the only fucking reason I ever need to turn to God. Like if I could just handle everything I was given, I don't have any purpose to turn to a God. I, I got it. Right. right. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I read into this. The pain forces us to seek a power greater than ourselves. Like I need to seek things to help me, whether that's new coping skills on how to sit with pain or how to alleviate pain or how to constructively use pain or, or, you know, some other thing of reaching out to a a spiritual being that makes me not feel so alone and and can be with me. So I'm not alone. Uh, I need these things and I need something to force me to seek it because if not, I got it. Right. And so what's your ideas of that? So, well, of course, I'll start by saying I don't believe God gives us anything. Right. Um, that's my first <laughs> belief in that. I don't believe God gives us anything. Um, and two, 
if you believe that God gives you things, then how do you make sense of all the people that kill themselves? I mean, it seems like they obviously got more than they could handle because they checked the fuck out, you know? And (laughs) I'm just saying, some people can't, I mean, life is hard. You know, there are challenges. It's difficult and not everybody can handle it. You know, some people choose to just keep using until they die or overdose. And that's their way. I mean, is, you know, are they handling what God gave them? I guess, you know, I guess it's, you know, but they're not handling in a really good way. So I, you know, I chucked that statement right out the window, but you know, it's so good. We agreed. We don't like the statement (laughs) (laughs) for different reasons. Do you have any input or not to poo poo on the God doesn't give us more than we can handle? (laughs) No, I, I, um, I prefer the term universe over God personally. Um, it just seems to fit better in from my experience, the way I see how things are. This is, you know, this is kind of uh, if you want to get into that kind of thing, um, the universe. So I would have to say to myself, the universe doesn't give me more than I can handle. Um, right. I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a, I don't, I don't, that just sounds like an elementary statement to me. I don't, I don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't fit where I am right now in my life. It may have applied to me at some other point before, and it may apply later, but right now I can say, I can only speak for right now. And right now I don't see the relevance of that statement. It's giving me more than I can handle. Um, I don't think it's that I see things differently. That's right, all I can right. really, I can't go too far into that one. So since I seem to be the only one that cares about this statement in the sense of a God at, at all, I, I will say I soften my stance some in the sense that when I've heard people say it, I'm assuming that instead of looking at it technically, they must be trying to say that God doesn't give me more than I can do as long as I'm, you know, seeking the help of God to help me do it. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how I try to assume what they're meaning by it. But I just don't personally like the statement. It, it sounds like one of those, uh, you know, some of our cliches are so rooted in truth that I'm like, oh, yeah, nothing could be more obvious. And right. some of them are like, who the fuck came up with this right. dumb shit right here? It's just a motivational statement. You know what I mean? Right. You might as well just say you can do it. Like, right. You can like, do it. Keep going. You can yeah. do it. Just hang on. It gets you, better. I, I you swear know, to like God. That's way more helpful. If I'd have had the guy from that movie with Adam Sandler that just stood there and went, <laughs> you can do it all along for my whole life, I'd have probably been better off. Right. I, and, like, um, I like the guy. Uh, I said Joe Montana. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, humor. Added a little humor. In the but uh, yeah, it's... It, you know, I, I just think life is is my approach to a lot of that is is life is life. And we don't, you know, I, I used to think I believed in karma. I don't even really believe in that anymore. I think karma more has to do with if I'm focused on positive, you know, uh, loving, caring aspects of the world, I tend to see them a lot more. Mm. I tend to recognize them a lot more. I tend to be more in tune with those in the world. And if I'm negative and condescending and rude, then I see more of that in the world. That's what I perceive. That's what I focus on. That's what where my attention is. And that, you know, those things all exist simultaneously. You know, good things are happening in the world. Bad things are happening in the world. A lot of things that we place good and bad judgments on are totally just judgments, you know, to one person. Yeah. Oh, my wife hates that. I say that all the time. That's one of my favorite go-tos. It's so true. 
it is what it is, you know, whatever judgment you want to place on it, good, bad, and different. Right. You know, it's sort of the old, you know, well, I was at this job for 10 years and I got fired and it was so terrible, but then I got this new job and it ended up being the greatest thing in my whole life. And, you know, I mean, are any of those good, bad? It's, it's like all the perspective you choose to take on it. You know, it's these judgments that we put on, on life. Um, I think life just shows up and whatever the tools that we have to deal with it are what's going to help us, not what judgments we place on how good or bad or how much God loves us or doesn't love us. Or, you know, to me, like, that's just not a helpful way of looking at life. You know, it's more helpful to look at it as, you know, some shitty stuff is going to go down in the next couple of years. And what am I in a position where I am spiritually physically and emotionally in a place where I can deal with those things the best when they show up, you know, and I don't go looking for them. It's not like I walk around paranoid around every corner, but people are going to die. Things are going to happen. Money's going to be an issue. You know, like politics are going to suck, you know, it's like, and you know, what, what I choose to do with that is what helps the quality of my life. Acceptance. I think, um, summed up and you know it is what it is it's it's not it is what it is is not you i i see you coming from a place of it's not a careless statement it's not like who cares right it's it's more of i accept the situation for what it is uh that 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 practice that takes practice it takes takes a little foresight to to accept it takes uh it takes faith of, of uh, you know, of some kind to believe that, okay, money's not always going to be tight. Um, uh, I'm not always going to feel this pain. Uh, these things more will be revealed. These things will, um, go away, you know, and, and whether that's, you know, God, uh, given me more than I can handle. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's just that the action, of you know seeking acceptance it is what it is um you know more will be revealed you know everything is everything (laughs) there it is there it is that's it yeah i I do i will say i am a fan of the it is what it is concept just to kind of remind me to stop labeling things because it's it's next to impossible to stop putting judgments of Hmm. how i believe things fit into my world as good or bad right when my true deep belief, if I was to sit and meditate on it and, you know, be on the top of a mountain somewhere would be it, it's just events. And how do I give them meaning? Right. And I understand that. Um, I do want to say and not to get too advanced, though, that I, I also have at times used it is what it is as a bypass. Right. To bypass having to feel the emotion of whatever it is that's going on in my life. And that does not work. That comes back to bite me in the ass because I need to go through the experience of feeling whatever it is for the particular situation before I can come to the understanding of it is what it is. And if I'm trying to skip by that by intellectualizing it or, or, you know, being so super Zen with it, I can actually stuff that down and it can halt me later. And so moving on to um, just one more concept that had come to my mind. I'm not sure if you guys had some more or not after that, but One of the things that always strikes me about the second step, and you'll hear it if you hear me share most of the time, it's kind of one of the more entertaining stories that I have in my share, is that 
I really believed when I first heard the idea of being restored to sanity. My only understanding of that coming into the program of sanity and insanity, I, I thought of like mental institutions and people in padded rooms, and they were obviously crazy, and crazy meant that your thinking was all over the place. And, and so when I heard I was going to be restored to sanity, I kept waiting for really sane thoughts to come my way, right? <laughs> I was like, man, I, you know, my wife is going to not fill up the curry one morning and I'm just going to come out and think, oh, she must have been busy. Let me fill it up for her, right? <laughs> and that's not what the fuck I ever experienced. And so I just felt like I was, I felt like I was disappointed constantly waiting for this change of thinking that was going to come to me, this sanity that as in the way I looked for it. Um, and what I've learned over time is that that's not what happens, right? I have this this group of people that speak in my head that that are all me in some way, shape, or form, but they're different parts of me, and they're they're almost like a you know board of directors at a business meeting. And like the first guy that talks when that Keurig thing is empty is like, "Fuck it, right? Fuck her, leave her. She's a bitch. You didn't want to marry her anyway. <laughs> Fill up the thing of water and dump it on her side of the bed and teach her a lesson, right? And then the second guy that speaks is like smoking a cigar with his feet on the board table. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's got a point, right? Yeah. She does this every other day, fuck her. And it always takes till that like third or fourth or fifth guy to be like, hey, uh, if you break this Keurig and leave your wife, you're A, going to be poor, and B, you're not going to get the coffee you came out here wanting in the first place, right? <laughs> and so the sanity that I have found for me through this second step isn't the sanity of sane thinking, right? It's the sanity of, not acting on a lot of that crazy shit, mm. right? Having the time to pause before the reaction. It's not perfect, right? Sometimes I still react before I can wait and appropriately respond. But a lot of times, I guess it, it I might have seen this sanity sooner if I wasn't looking for it in my thinking. And I think that's what I, I one of the things I try to express to people is that my sanity came in my actions, not in my thinking. Yeah, and I, I luckily enough, you know, picked up the concept early on, maybe because I realized my thinking was so messed up was, you know, early on, I picked up the concept that like my own thinking is my biggest enemy. You know, my own, that committee we talk about in our head is, is what gets me into trouble all the time. I think something, I just do it. I just react and just, you know, whatever. And uh, of course, being a person that likes analogies, you know, my first sponsor had told me something about, you know, whenever you think you got an answer to a problem, he's like, when you start thinking too much, you know, picture in your head, like one of those uh, road construction signs that says caution under construction, you know, kind of thing so that you don't really go any further with that thought. Mm. And maybe try to talk to some people about it, talk to your sponsor, talk to some other people in your support network and uh, get some input, get some, get some help with that stuff to help you come up with, you know, some decisions. And that was really helpful. You know, that was right. good advice because early on I thought, well, I think this, so I must have to do it. You know, this is what I think. So this is what I do. Right. And, uh, I thought I wasn't being true to myself if I didn't do that, you know, mm. selling myself mm. short, not doing what I wanted to do. That's what I want to do. And, uh, realizing that that's the insanity, you know, is just reacting to those thoughts without playing them out. And the skills that I've learned through recovery are just what you had talked about. It's like learning to kind of sit back and go, okay, wait a minute. You know, let's not react to this feeling. Let's not react to this first thought. And let's kind of 
Um, look for some other solutions to the problem. Look for some other answers to the situation. Or sometimes let's just do nothing at all and, and we don't have to react to this thing. We can just let it go, you know, right. and that being a novel concept. <laughs> right. So, so the first place I was, was I wasn't on an uptick in my life when I came, you know, looking, looking for, for help. Uh, my, and then we've all heard, um, my best thinking, you know, got me to where I'm at. So now I was convinced that my thinking, there was some sort of error in trying to run things myself. Um, and I also heard it's like, there's a lot of simple things that accumulated into, uh, into this for me. I heard somebody say one time that if you think of it past 10 PM, it's probably not a good idea. Um, <laughs> I agree with that. One. Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, so I'm very mindful. If I start thinking of ideas and it's nighttime, I, I still today out of habit, flip out the phone and say, you know, what time is it? You know, is it past 10? Um, so I, I, I heard someone say, and I was, I really needed this when I, when I heard it. Um, I was, I was, you know, I, I thought that, uh, it came to mind, well, hey, you know, I don't feel too great with this this whole being clean thing. And, you know, I've been doing this for about nine months now, and I'm, I really don't feel like I have that edge, you know, that that uh, these other guys seem to have, like that edge, you know, where, you know, I don't know, uh, girls like them or, or whatever. I didn't feel really good about myself. So I thought, this is the thoughts, right? I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to sell weed. You know, that's going to really give me that edge. And I'm going to stay clean and do it, and I'm going to do it different this time. And I realized first thing when that thought popped in my mind, this is not right. And I felt insane. I felt what, what is going on with me? Why am I doing this? And I heard this guy say, he said, it doesn't matter what your head does. It matters what your feet do. And it's the same thing you guys were just saying with, it's the actions. It's the actions. I act my way. I act my way into better thinking, you know, right. we've heard that one. And, and, the committee in my head, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, you can't, you know, I wash all my dishes, you know, you can't wash yours. And, um, you know, why can't these, you know, it, my kids need to listen to me because I'm their dad. And, uh, you know, and I just labels, you know, and it's my thinking. And the way for me is step back, step back up out of there, get up out of that committee and just watch them talk for a minute. And think, what's any of this going to solve? Any of these answers that I'm coming up with, you know? Um, and then with my feet, take good steps in the right direction, take good action. And, and uh, you know, that seems to lead my, it actually helps my thinking, honestly. Those, those habitual good actions seem to guide my thinking, get it back to center. And it's not all at once. I mean, this is like one right. thing. I'm a man, so I need to focus on one thing at a time. If it's the Keurig, man, I'm on that Keurig for months <laughs> trying to figure out how to not smash that thing, you know? So that's that's yes. my thought. Oh, go ahead. And uh, I, I personally think when we talk about being restored to sanity, like to me, that's what that statement actually means is I become a person that my actions and the way that I live falls in line with my values. Like for the longest uh, time in my addiction, I had these morals and values that I said that I believed, but my actions and the things that I did in my life didn't fall in line with those values. So I felt like a piece of shit 
you know. I knew I wanted to be, um, you know, a responsible, productive, hardworking person. I knew I didn't want to be someone that lied and stole and cheated their family and, and manipulated people and did all those things. Um, but I just kept doing them anyway, you know, and that's, you know, kept me trapped in that insanity, you know, kept me stuck in that insanity. I wanted to do something, but I did something else. You know, and right. and that process of recovery taught me how to put my actions in line with my morals and values. And so that, you know, my spirit could could be restored to, you know, healthy, happy and whole. It's so interesting. You guys just brought up a couple of really good things. Like one of the things I've heard a billion times, uh, you can't think your way into better living. You got to live your way into better thinking. And I've never specifically looked at that as like a second step saying, but I, I think it is. I think it's all about being restored to sanity is ignoring or, or at least not trusting as 100% accurate the thoughts in my head, right? And then the second half of that statement even has roots in like biological things that we understand about the brain now, which is that, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. And so when we do these new habits through living them day in and day out, like you were talking about, Steve, like they truly are forming mm-hmm. new brain patterns inside of us. And that's incredible that <laughs> that's a second step saying, right? Um, and one of the other things you mentioned, Billy, was just the sanity of being able to play the tape to the end, mm-hmm. right? Being able to play the tape all the way through. I heard that early on and I didn't realize. So we we started this podcast talking about the insanity is repeating the same mistakes and expecting different results, right? Because all we were thinking about was, oh, I use drugs and there's a relief from that. There's a relief of pain when I use drugs, right? We don't think about the part that comes after that with with what you were just mentioning a second ago, like the consequences of that. Oh, I feel like a piece of shit because now I've gotten high. Now I need to, you know, maybe go cheat somebody out of some money to get more drugs to continue to feel this way. And so it's the process. The sanity is being able to think all the way through that repeated mistake to the final consequence of it that felt like crap, right? The thing that that made it the mistake, right? We have to be able to think all the way through to the end of that. And I think that kind of is the culmination of the second step, being able to sit still long enough to see what happens after the initial thought, right? Yeah, and, and, the, and I don't know, I thought this earlier and forgot to add it in, but I, for some reason I feel like it's a little bit important. So... <laughs> Some of these concepts that we do, some of these coping mechanisms that we use as as addicts aren't necessarily bad. They only become bad because as addicts, we take them to extremes. And by that, I'll, you know, what I mean is, you know, I could be having a tough day at work. You know, I, somebody yells at me or somebody gets mad or I make a mistake and the boss is upset at me and whatever. And I have a bad day and I go, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm going to just go have a double cheeseburger and a, you know, shake for lunch. And uh, that's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? It's it's it makes me feel better. You know, right. maybe it is just giving into some compulsion or whatever, but it's not a terrible thing. It's a no. good way to get through a difficult situation. And that's the end of it. And then I go on with the rest of my day and I feel better and whatever. The insanity comes in as addicts is that becomes just the go to for everything all the time. Oh, I stubbed my toe. So I must have to eat cheeseburgers and ice cream all day. (laughs) You know, oh, my wife looked at me funny. Oh, I must have to eat cheeseburgers and ice creams all the time. And it's like we take these normal uh, what most people would look at as like normal sort of coping everyday things. Oh, I had a bad day. So I want to buy myself something. Well, then I'm three thousand dollars in debt because somebody looked at me funny on the highway. You know, it's like that's where as addicts that insanity takes us. 
All right. So does anybody have anything else to wrap up the second step? No. Excellent. Excellent. I think we covered it pretty well here today. Uh, as always, you know, feel free to share this with anybody you, you think might benefit from it or join the conversation yourself. We'd love to hear your opinions on the second step, especially if it's something we didn't mention here. We can, you know, recap this next week and talk about it. And uh, hope everybody has a great week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.